Welcome to New Freedom Church. Our mission is to be real people walking and experiencing real freedom. If you're new with us, please like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you get new content immediately when it's released. And we want to thank those of you who have shared our videos because it helps us to reach even more people with the life-changing message that there is a Savior who loves you and wants real, genuine freedom for you. And if you haven't done so already, go to newfc.org. Go to the Connect tab and share with us how we can best connect with you and your family to serve your needs. My name is Joe. I serve as lead pastor here at New Freedom. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'd love to do that and uh, get to get acquainted, get to know you a little bit more. All I can say is, wow. I mean, wasn't that a beautiful song, worship set? I, I trust that God has already touched you where you are this morning, and I believe that he wants to do even more of that as we continue uh, the rest of our service. We have been uh, journeying through the pages of life. Uh, as you look back over the last couple of months of your own life, as you maybe reflect back having a birthday, looking back over the previous year, as you watch as people around you uh, move away, they graduate, your kids are growing, you know that the pages of your life are turning. Days turn into weeks, weeks, months, and before you know it, years have passed by. And I believe that this series that we're going to uh, continue on today, next week, we're going to take a, a little break from it, month of October, we're going to go into kingdom prayer, get back to our word of the year, which is prayer for the year. But I believe that, that this series focusing on the book of Psalms is the pages that speak to us about our life. When we read the word of God, the word of God turns around and reads us. And so when we look at the book of Psalms, what we're looking at is the prayer book and the song book of Jesus. There was no book quoted more often in the New Testament than the book of Psalms and by Jesus himself and his disciples. This particular passage of scripture we're looking at over uh, 15 Psalms here from 120 to 134, uh, they were songs of ascent. In other words, what were happening here is the pilgrims of Israel, the people who had lived in various areas, would come back one time a year, sometimes three times, but especially one time a year to Jerusalem God's city, where the temple was, and they would worship God there on that temple. Jerusalem was sitting up on a hilltop, and so they would have to make a journey that would be up a hillside, and sometimes it would take them a little bit longer than just normal terrain. It was a, it was a path that they would travel often, but they were ascending up the mountain, and so it's called the Psalms of Ascent. And they would rehearse to one another these, these psalms. 129th Psalm today is what we're going to look at, and this is a psalm of deliverance for the people of God against the enemies of God. This is how that they secured the freedom that God had already provided for them, and they rehearsed to one another the victories of God in their life. You know, I think it's vitally important that we find some people who are of like mind, of one accord, that we can rehearse together the goodness of God, that we can share with one another the struggles and the trials of life, but then we can uh, turn it all around to praise and say, but if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, I'd have been swallowed up. It is the goodness and the faithfulness of God that we glean from these psalms. And we find ourselves on this common journey. If you will put yourself in the mindset of one of these pilgrims, I think for the next few moments, you can find yourself walking a similar road to them. You can put yourself in their shoes. Psalm 129, I want to read the eight verses here of this psalm, then we'll break them down a little bit. Verse 1, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained victory over me. Somebody say amen. amen. 
plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. In other words, let it not be said that they have a bountiful harvest at the end of their oppression. He talks about this oppression from their youth. And it's not just a a young child, but really when it's talking about Zion or talking about Israel, it's a nation of people. God called Abraham and said, from you will come many generations and your heritage and your people shall be a blessing to all of the earth. And so when it's talking about being oppressed from their youth, it's the the younger, young, tender nation of Israel as it very first got started has always faced a form of persecution and oppression. You see, the people of God have always been just a little bit out of step with secular society. Those who have named the name of Jesus have always felt just a little bit uh, out of sorts or like a pilgrim passing through, like a sojourner in a foreign land because the ways of this world are not the ways of our God. But there is coming a day and there is coming a time when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And we stand on this side of that journey looking forward to the time when the oppression shall cease. And they talk about this word oppression. He says, greatly have I been oppressed, but they have not prevailed against me. I love Psalm 34, 19. It says this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but what? The Lord delivers them from them all. So if you feel today like you're going through a struggle, you're in a valley, there is a tough giant that is standing on the other side of the hill to you. Today, you need to hear the word of the Lord that many are the afflictions of those who name the name of Jesus, but God has caused deliverance from them all. You are victorious in his name. This word oppression, I want to just define this a little bit because when the psalmist uses a word, it's not just by happenstance. There is a reason why a certain word is used, and he uses the word oppression. Defined, this means a prolonged cruelness, an unjust treatment, mental pressure. This is the definition, mental pressure and control. So think of it. Have you ever felt like you have had a prolonged cruel treatment in your life? That you have been dealt an unjust hand or circumstances didn't turn out the way that they should have? That whatever is oppressing you is causing a mental (coughs) dilemma in your mind. It's causing mental pressure in your heart. And there is a control that is coming upon your life. The psalmist references here two kinds of oppression, both uh, slavery, which is physical. It says the the furrows on my back have been plowed long. He's talking about slavery, but there is a a more sinister kind of oppression that's being mentioned here, and it is that mental oppression. This oppression is that which is intended to hurt and is very effective through the use of words. One of the most effective ways to Uh, frame a narrative is to either tell or mistell something that we know about another. It is a a way to um, 
share pieces of information and innuendo to lead to conclusions. And so what was happening in this day was that God's people, the the nation of Israel, were being uh, fought on every side. All of their, their enemies did not want the other nations to ally with them. And so people would tell stories about them and try to get people to come against the, the nation of Israel, the, the people of God. And I think it would be interesting to note that you probably missed it in all of the news this week because there's been so much happening in our, in our day and, and with an election year, but there was actually a peace accord signed with two uh, Arab nations with the nation of Israel this week in Washington, D.C. That's pretty significant. I believe that it just shows us we're, we're one second closer on God's time clock of what all of this is going to be in the return of our Lord. And the people of God have always experienced some kind of oppression, but we're seeing peace. Now, we know that there will not be a lasting human man-made peace on this earth, but I'm, I'm praying for Israel. We should pray for Israel. That's what the Bible tells us even to today. And any kind of little peace that they can, they can win right now and secure some safety, I celebrate that. But we know that the final peace will only come when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, steps on the scene and makes all things right. But until that day, you and I have a call. We have an obligation to pray for the peace of Israel. And so the people of God found themselves being oppressed with accusation, innuendo, the sharing of, of fabricating uh, lies that would, would ally against them. Now, it's interesting to me that, that when we say the word accusation, uh, this is a Bible word, and, and we uh, know it as uh, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? And you can even see examples in Scripture where God's people would oppress or accuse God's people. We see it with King David and Saul. Uh, at the time, it was King Saul, and David was just a shepherd boy, and so Saul didn't like the way that David was being lauded for killing his tens of thousands when Saul had only killed his thousands, and so he went into an oppressive, mean spirit towards David and drove him into the wilderness, and we see that uh, there was this, this battle, this tug of war that was going on, even within God's own people, and it didn't turn out so well for Saul, did it? We can see in the scripture that Jesus, when Uh, He's talking about his journey to the cross, about his eventual sacrifice as the sacrificial lamb for the sin of all the world, that Peter stands up, one of his own disciples, and said, no, Lord, you shall not go to the cross. That shall not be your destination. You shall not take that in. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Satan, get behind me. He called Peter the accuser of God's plan, and he said, get behind me. I am not going to be derailed for the plan and the promise that God has for me. Anytime that you start hearing accusation, first of all, I would say don't even entertain it if you're hearing accusation because it comes from the enemy of your soul, even though it may be shared from someone that you know. But I would say don't entertain it. But if you happen to find yourself entertaining it, and we all have, if you happen to find yourself entertainment, I can tell you how to stop it. You want to know? Does anybody want to know? Okay, it's a few of you don't know. Here's how you can stop the accusation. Go get yourself a tablet and say, ooh, that sounds juicy. Let me write this down. Wait, tell me some more and start writing it down and let the person know that sharing the accusation with you that you're going to go and you're going to find the record with the other person. You're going to go right to the source and find out that accusation because when you do that, it will put a stop to it 
And it recognizes that I shouldn't be talking about the people of God even when I am a people of God. I shouldn't be doing that. And this is what happens in, in, in this text is that the nations surrounding Israel were trying to frame the narrative for all the other nations. Don't join them. You don't want to be with them. No, don't be with that people. They're holier than thou. They look down their nose at the people who worship idols and all these gods. They only have one God. What kind of nation only has one God? So what? One God. We have all of these gods. And so they were sharing all of these narratives, but God was showing himself strong time and time and time again as the one true living God for Israel. And we find that you can't curse what God has already blessed. These other nations were so mad because how is it that Israel is able to walk in this kind of blessing with God and we have to stand over here and eat just a common meal? How is it that they are so favored and they are so blessed? But you can't curse what God has blessed. Even to this day, we see that the Jewish people still carry a blessing upon them that is Hard to fathom by any measurement, by any standard, they should have been annihilated already. And by any standard, these people worshiping, going up this mountain to worship God, they should have been annihilated. And they said, we have been oppressed. We have been mind controlled. We have had mental anguish. There has been this pressure that has been upon us. And they didn't pretend that there wasn't pressure, but they rehearsed God's faithfulness in the pressure. Here's the problem many Christians have is that they want to deny the facts and reality because they think somehow that bolsters their faith. See, God never says to do that. If you read the Psalms, you're going to find a very real, raw experience of someone that is pouring out their heart to God on a daily basis. Whether it's good or whether the situation's tough, they're pouring it all out before God. And that's exactly the kind of transparency that God wants to have with you. God never pretends that something didn't happen. If it happened, it happened. Romans 3 and 17 says, our God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. He doesn't deny the facts of the things that are. For example, if I'm out in the, in the yard this afternoon and I'm, I'm doing some yard work and I cut my arm and it's bleeding, I am not going to look at it and say, by faith, my arm's not bleeding. By faith, my arm's not bleeding. My arm, no, my arm's bleeding. That's a fact. I'm going to go get a bandage, I'm going to wipe it off, and I'm going to put a bandage on it. I'm not going to call it uncut, it's cut, but I'm going to call it healed in the name of Jesus after I bandage it up. God who calls those things which be not as though they were. What is it in your life that you don't currently have but you're believing for? That's what God is wanting you to connect your faith to because it's not there yet, but by faith you can have it. It's a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. And these people were rehearsing to one another, you know, we have come through the fire and we have come through the flood. We have been oppressed in mind and in heart. We have been uh, beaten. We have been in slavery. We've been set back. But the Lord has been on our side. And hasn't God been good that he has never allowed our victory, the enemies to have a victory over us? This is what they're rehearsing. These are songs of victory for the people of God over their enemies. And here's the next thing that they do. And, and, and I like, uh, look at verse three. It says, plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. They're acknowledging the slavery that they had been in. In Egypt, they were in slavery for 400 years. And now they're telling one another, yes, we have been oppressed. Yes, we have been in slavery. We know what it's like to struggle. But verse four, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free. Somebody say free. free. He has cut me free from the cords 
of the wicked. Another translation says he has cut them in pieces. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Now, if you cut a cord in a piece, it's easy to take that cord and tie a knot in it and it's back one cord again. But when God cuts the cords of your enemy in pieces, what he's saying is they're never going to be able to reconnect those pieces again. The Lord is righteous. Here's, here's the, the message Bible says in this, this verse. It says, God wouldn't put up with it. He sticks with us. This is the confession of people who have walked with God through trial and through turmoil and through trouble is that, yes, there are some things in my life looking back I would never want to go through again. Anybody can relate. There are some things that I have walked through that at the time I threw up my hands and said, God, I don't know if I can even sustain my faith through this. But now that I'm on the other side of it, now that I'm through the suffering, now that the pain is uh, eased a little bit, now that the wound has turned into a scar, I can touch the scar and it doesn't hurt anymore. And I thank God for the trial because I wouldn't be where I am today had it not been for where I went then. And the psalmist said, God is righteous. And though people have oppressed us, God wouldn't stand for it. He stuck by us the entire time. How many can say thank you to the faithfulness of God? God stuck by us. And it says that he cut the ties of our enemies. Now, when it talks of the righteousness of God, this is a big word. Righteousness means many things, but it is right standing with God. And righteousness means that the Lord who is righteous will do things correctly. He will turn things out to be right in the end. Now, here's the problem. God's timetable of righteousness and Joe Shutt's timetable of righteousness are not on the same schedule. I get offended today and I want revenge tomorrow. And God says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, vengeance is mine. I will repay when I'm good and ready. And I say, God, you're watching this over here. Are you ready yet? God's timetable is different than our timetable. But what is sure and what is true is that the Lord sticks by us and he is not going to let his people suffer forever. He is righteous and he is taking note of what is happening. He's saying this to to Israel as they're walking up this mountain to worship God. They're saying, we were oppressed for a time, but God wouldn't allow it to, to continue. And what was tethering us, what was binding us has been cut into pieces and it's irreparable. It cannot be put back together. Those ties that bound us are broken. And today God wants to break some ties that are binding you. God wants to set free his people by the spirit of the Lord. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. And though the plowmen have plowed long furrows in our back, they said, the Lord is righteous. It's interesting that that they use the, the, the term plowman here. Because in this day, it was common for a man to tie up an oxen to a plow He would get on the back of that plow and it would be his job from sun up to sundown to make long rows to plant. And when he would make those long rows, the seed would go into those rows and there was a a aspect of the plowman's job that he had to make sure the rows were straight. 
If the rows were crooked, then the field is going to grow wrong and it's going to be hard to harvest the field. So a good plowman would keep his eyes laser beam focused on a site out in the future, something as a fixed point that he would plow a row. When he would get done with that row, he would go back and he would find another fixed point and he would plow that row. And because his focus was so intent, have you ever been, been doing a, an activity or doing something and when you stop doing it, you realize, oh, my neck is sore. Wow, my, my, my shoulder over here, it, it needs a stretch. They didn't stretch. For 12 hours, they were looking at one laser beam focus. And what would happen is literally their necks would get stiff. They would get a stiff neck. And so what we're seeing here in these plowmen is this illustration of a worker who is tying up an ox. That animal, that beast of burden has to work while the plowman is focused on his job making those straight rows. He's doing his job right. And here's what the, the, the psalmist is making a comparison to, is that you and I, being oppressed by the enemy of our soul, are like those beasts of burden that the, the plowman is yelling at us and he is, he is yoked at us, but God has broken the tie and the plowman is so stiff-necked that he can't look back to see that you and I are no longer bound. He's still barking out commands. He's still speaking to us untruths. He's still telling us who we are, not in God, but who we are in his eyes. And the plowman has had his ties cut, but he's so stiff-necked he can't look back and he doesn't even know that his commands no longer have effect on us. Do you know it? Do you know that the plowman no longer has an effect on you? Do you know that the ties that used to bind you no longer have control of you? Because in Christ, I am a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. I am a new creature in Jesus, and you have a new lease on life through Christ. But if you believe that you're still bound to your old life, if you're still dabbling in things that used to snare you, the Hebrew writer says, lay off the sin that so easily besets you. Lay aside every weight and that sin and run this race with patience, looking unto the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus. Don't be entangled again with the snare and the things that used to bind you. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Walk in the freedom of Jesus today. You're going to still hear those barks in your ear. That plowman is still going to scream at you. He's still going to give out commands, but you know what? He has no ability to make you do it anymore. You're free in Jesus. Now, in verse 5, it takes a little turn, and here's where it gets real. We're real people, right? This real freedom, right? Here's where it gets real, and I can't give my endorsement to the psalmist on this, neither can you. Because this is really not a very godly request that he requests. But here's why I like the Psalms. They're real. They, the person that has a complaint with God, they pour it out. Look at, look at verse 5. It says this. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof which withers and cannot grow. A reaper that cannot fill his hands nor fill his arms. In other words, don't let them prosper. God, I'm mad at my enemies. Don't let the people who are lying against me, Israel saying, have a bountiful harvest. Let their seed go down in shallow ground and when it comes up, the sun scorches it so they never have a harvest. What's he praying a prayer for? I'll give you the word. It's a prayer of vindication. He wants to get even with those who have allied themselves against the nation of Israel. And here's the big fact that we have to realize is that we don't have the privilege of deciding winners and losers in this world. 
It's not for us to decide who's going to serve God and who isn't going to serve God. We have been given a new commandment. John 13 and 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love one another. And the way that the world is going to know that we are Christians is by the love we have for each other. But this prayer for vindication is something that is so near and dear to our heart because we're human. We want to get even. We want justice in the here and the now. We want it right away. Eugene Peterson says it like this, there are times in the long obedience of Christian discipleship when we get tired and fatigue draws near our tempers short. At such times to see someone flitting from one cessation, one enthusiasm to another, quitting on their commitments, ducking responsibilities, it provokes our anger and sometimes it piques our envy. There are times when we look around and we see that the ungodly are getting ahead. How is it that corporate America has all the money and the missionaries need it? Why, why do we have economic imbalance? Why, God, I'm, I'm envious. And God says, do not envy yourself over evildoers. Their just reward is coming. It may look like someone's getting ahead here and now. Their part of the story may have gotten told. It may look as though they're prospering, but there's a judgment day coming. The Bible tells us it is appointed unto man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. What are you going to do when you stand before God on that day? Are you going to tell him you were a good person because you paid your taxes? Because you gave to the poor? What is going to be our excuse when we stand before God for all that we have accomplished on this earth? There's only one answer, and that is, I accepted by faith the sacrifice of Jesus for me. That's the only answer. It's not our goodness, it's not our righteousness, it's not anything that we can earn or deserve. It is the free, unmerited grace and favor of God. The psalmist turns in vindication, wanting to get even. And God just lets him talk, God just lets him ramble. And we can't endorse anything like that because God doesn't put a stamp of approval on vengeance. It's his, it belongs to God. And so, at the end of this psalm, it brings us right around to this epic point. It is that we can't give up because we are closer now than we've ever been. Listen, church, don't give up on your faith. Don't give up on your trust in God. You are closer now than you have ever been. And I say this because I know the temptation I know the knock at your heart because I experience it myself. Just take it easy, why don't you? Why do you have to be so fanatical about this thing? Why do you have to be so excited about God? Can't you just go to church once a quarter? Why do you have to find yourself always going to that Bible study and that prayer meeting and that prayer breakfast and that church service? Why do you always find yourself? Why don't you just find something? Just go ahead and take it easy. You can easily watch online. I love online. It's a great option. But there is nothing that substitutes the fellowshipping of ourselves together and so much more than so when we see that day approaching. There is a koinonia, a fellowship that happens when we are in the room together, when we are in the presence of like-minded believers. Because as iron sharpens iron, so the countenance of one person sharpens another. 
There may not be anything that you need to learn from that next class, from that next session of study, but there may be some things that you can contribute by attending that somebody else there needs to hear. Don't be so super spiritual that you can't go and learn because God has each and every one of us on a lifetime journey of learning. It's called sanctification. It's called, there's a little bit of rough edges in me and a little bit of rough edges in you. And just as soon as we get to the place where we think we've achieved a level where we don't need any more teaching, then we have made it better than the Apostle Paul. You know why? Because Paul said, I am least of all the saints. That I am still pressing on towards the the high call of God, that upward call in Christ Jesus that I have not yet attained. He said, I haven't yet laid my hands on it. I am still pressing forth. Don't give up. Don't give in to the temptation to just take it easy. You see, automobiles have a neutral position. Christians do not. You're either going forward or you're going in reverse. There is no middle ground. I know we like to play in shades of gray, but there is no shades of gray when it comes to serving God in this kingdom. You're either all in or you're all out. God would rather that you be hot or cold. Hot water is good with coffee. Can I get an amen? Cold water with ice in it is good on a hot day. Can I get an amen? Lukewarm water, no. We don't like lukewarm water, and God does not want lukewarm Christians. He wants you to be on fire for him, hot, burning, blazing. Like Jeremiah, there is a fire that has shut up in my bones, and I just can't keep it in. i got to let it out. He set me ablaze. And listen, if you get on fire for God, someone will come and watch you burn. Everybody likes to see a good train wreck and a fire, trust me. You get on fire for God, you start that blazing in your soul. You say, but pastor, I feel so, so dull. My prayer life is so cold. Well, just keep on praying. I just feel like God's not hearing me. Keep on talking. I just feel like the Spirit's not, not quickening me. Well, keep on getting on your knees. Do your first works again. Remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do your first works again. We're getting ready to do a, a marriage series here on Sunday nights. And, and you know, I've invited people that have been married for one year, five years. I had, had a couple yesterday say, we've been married for 37 years. Good. Come to the class and tell us how you've kept the fire burning. We want to know. We need your wisdom. God is doing a new thing in the earth. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? I mean, with with spiritual ears, can you hear it? With spiritual eyes, can you see it? Don't be dismayed by the, the unsettled environment you see around our nation. Pray about it. Don't, don't shriek back in fear and, oh, woe is me, wringing my hands. Oh, Jesus, just please come and take me out of here. No, he's left you here for a purpose. Be salt and light. Point the way. Darkness always gives way to light. Be the light. Point someone to Jesus. And just like God's timetable of righteousness is not my timetable, his time of return is not my time of return. I would have wrapped this thing up long ago, but for some reason, in God's good pleasure, he's seen it fit to leave us right here in this moment. We are called to the kingdom for such a time just as this. Let's be some Esthers. Let's stand up and say, God, here am I. I will go into the king's court. I will go into prayer. I will go into consecration for you. God's doing a new thing in the land. 
He's looking for some Gideons that are not assessing the battle based upon the number of people with them to fight. You know, when Gideon came down to to fight for God, God said, Gideon, you've got way too many people in your army. Now, what commander would ever turn away a good helper in an army? That's atypical. That's an upside down kingdom. That's opposite of what we would think. 30,000 came to fight and God said, you have too many. But wait a minute, God, even at 30,000, those who are against us far outnumber us. And God said, thin out the ranks. And he gave him a command of how to do it. Go down to the, to the river and, and all those that, that lap like a dog, you're going to cut the ranks. Just how someone drinks water. You know that there are some tests that are in your life today that are very simple tests. It looks like it's simple as just lapping up some water, yet God is watching. He wants to see how you're going to respond. He works on your heart. Pay for that person's meal and they're lying behind you. I don't know, God, that's a, that's a minivan. There's probably a lot of people in that car. If it was an escort, I might do it, but I don't know, God. No, pay for the people's meal. It is an act of obedience. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Are you going to listen? I want you to invite that person in the cubicle next to you to church on kingdom prayer in October. I don't know, God, is there a better series? Can, can, can we do one about the blessings? I'll invite them to the blessing series. I don't know about the prayer series. No, invite them. It is an act of obedience. God is watching. God is waiting to see what are we going to do with what we have been entrusted with. Don't give up now because you are closer than you have ever been before. You see, struggle, hardship, opposition, These are all words that are associated with ancient Israel and they are all words that apply to all people of God of all time. Ain't nobody getting out of this thing without some battle wounds. I know it's not good English, but it's good preaching. You ain't getting out of this thing without some wounds because you're no better than our Lord. He was despised and rejected by men. You ever been despised? You ever been rejected? You ever felt in the outside, the out crowd? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Isaiah 53, he was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus took the stripes. You're gonna get some scars. You're gonna get some stripes. The writer of Hebrews said it like this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love this. Jesus is in a rested position. He is seated at the right hand of God on high. He is praying for me and praying for you. For he considered him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. We need to consider this lest we become weary 
and discouraged in our souls. Consider the example of Jesus, lest we become weary and discouraged in our souls. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. Whatever you are going through today, it is not comparable to what our Lord went through. And how can we, as the servants of the master, expect that we're going to get excluded from what our master went through? We've not suffered, I've not suffered a bloodshed, ridicule with rocks and stones and whips on the back. Maybe that day is coming in America. Maybe the persecution of the church is coming like that in America. I know that we've, we've believed it long and, 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 and with all of our heart that we're going to get taken out of here before all of the persecution starts. I asked a Bible scholar one day, I said, why do you believe it that way? I've seen God's people suffer all throughout the, the scriptures, all throughout the ages. Why do you believe that we are not going to have to go through any suffering? And you know what? He was honest. He said, because I don't want to suffer. I want to believe it that way. And I said, I'm with you on that. But if we do, are we ready to maintain our testimony for Jesus? Or are we going to throw in the towel because times get tough? Listen, church, there's some tough times that are around us right now. You think this looks bad? Wait till the next 35 to 45 days in our country and around the world. We need to be about prayer. We need to be about the Lord's business. Now is the time, it's high time that the people of God stand up and be counted, that we make our voices known. And and I tell you what, it doesn't start in the ballot box. That's just part of it. It starts on our knees. (laughs) You can't start it in the ballot box. And you can't wait for Washington to fix all the problems because you're electing the people you think are the right people. Every Democrat thinks God's a Democrat. Every Republican thinks God's a Republican. Really, can I tell you, the Lord isn't trying to be on any political party side. The Lord's saying, who's on my side? That's what the Lord's saying. I don't know about you, but I want to say, I'm not named and labeled based upon a political affiliation or party, but I'm named by the name of Jesus. I'm washed in the blood. I'm born again, and I am going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to stand for him. Because let me tell you, the kingdoms of this world will fail you. Governments, governments will fail you. Political candidates will promise you things. And I know it's hard to lie to you. I know, I know, I know. But Jesus will never fail you. He is faithful even to the end. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I just wonder today how many who have come into this place with some heaviness on your heart. Life is tough. The battle is raging. And you maybe even have considered just giving up, giving up on your faith, maybe even giving up on life altogether. I would, I would just plead with you today, instead of giving up, why don't you give in? Just give in to Jesus. Here is his appeal to you today, come. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He said, I want to give you rest for your soul. So instead of giving up today, I just pray you give in to Jesus. You say, preacher, how do I do that? It's very simple. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to pray it with me. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone who is willing to pray this prayer out loud with me. You may have prayed it before, but that's okay. Pray it again. It's a fresh dedication to the Lord. And you may just encourage someone near to you to pray it. It is a prayer of consecration to God. 
It's a prayer of repentance to the Lord. Here it is. It's this. Say it with me. Dear God, I come to you today just like I am. I need a Savior. I repent. I turn away from my old life. I turn unto God today. I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to God's kingdom. I say yes to God's plan. You can work in my life today, Lord. I receive you. I'll live for you as you show me how. In Jesus' name, amen. Look up here, look up here. If you prayed that and you meant it from your heart, we believe you're born again. We have a gift for you. We would love to give you the gospel of John and some next steps of how that you can get connected to this local body and you can take some next steps in your faith. The next thing you need to do is this. You need to tell somebody about your decision for Jesus. And then you need to be baptized. You need to make your confession public by being water baptized. You can do that today. Make sure that you don't let the sun go down on this day before you tell someone, I made a decision to walk with Jesus today. Can we give God a hand for all those people who said yes to the Savior today? Thank you for joining us today. I just can't wait for next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Thank you for sharing on social media, and please subscribe. And if this message has impacted you in any way, would you just write a rating or review for us so we can reach even more people with this message? Your generosity really does make a difference. So to give, please go to newfc.org and click on the giving tab, or click on the link in the video description. We love you. We'll see you real soon.